Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotam V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Be'finu Ufi Amka Be't Yisrael Ve'niye Anaknu Veta Eta'enu Veta Eta'e Amka Be't Yisrael Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Ve'lom De Torateka Lishma Barukata Adonai Hamlamed Torah Le'amo Yisrael Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Well, Hag Sameach, it is officially the season of our Simcha. It is Sukkot. So, yes, it's a very intense week. Uh, even though our tents are more like huts and our huts are more like, I don't know. I don't know where that was going. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so our huts are the manifestation of Hashem. That's where I'm going to go with it. Because if you tuned into the Aliyah a day mm, for the second day of Pesach, then you got to learn about that. Um, and heads up, he will be speaking about Korbanos, or as we say in Sephardi, Korbanot. And uh, so that's going to be a get you some for sure. So I'm looking forward to that. So, with that being said, we got to do a public announcement of Havenges. Oh my goodness, like, I thought I was just going to lose my mind. I was like, I'm sitting in shul, and here we go. We're literally introducing the Havengers to the world. Sad part about it is, there were at least 20 Havengers that were forgotten. So... For lack of a better uh, time, I am going to just go ahead and just introduce a few of the Forgotten Avengers. Let me start with my Abba, who is Barzell. He is the Shomer version of the Iron Fist. Yep, so uh, that, that would be my Abba. And so uh, moving on, we have the Wilsons. So we have Rachmiel, who is Ish Nemala, which is Ant-Man. And his wife is Dr. Gray. Yes, the Phoenix. Uh, the Dr. Jean Gray, who turns into the Phoenix, uh, that character. So that's her. So Dr. Wilson. Another doctor in the house, but not that kind of doctor, as Dr. Sakal would say. Uh, side note on how she got her name. She always, every single time we did tour studies and it was like a big group and she'd tag in, she'd always have something like biological, scientific, and she did this whole thing with DNA and knitting a sweater that was like super ridiculous. And so, uh, yeah, so if you ever have a chance to ask her about that, she has plenty of stuff. The lady is just, she definitely fits her character because she's super powerful and she knows it, and that's cool. So, you know, Brukashem. Their wonderful Banim, uh, their son is Hawkeye. So, yes, we have a Hawkeye. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's David. Uh, he's also our bass player. Then we have his sister, who is Lochem, which is Lady Warrior. And, yes, she is the Valkyrie. And then... We have the daughter of the mighty Haver and Eshet Pela, which is Wonder Woman. So, um, stand by. 
Okay, so their daughter, uh, so Wonder Woman and Mighty Hopper, they have a daughter. Uh, her name is Yovel. She is uh, commonly known as Chasia. And um, Yovel is obviously, uh, is the Jubilee, basically, is that word in Hebrew. If you translate Yovel into English, it translates as Jubilee. But she totally fits her character because it's electricity and pyrotechnics. I mean, goodness. So, yes, she does drop those kind of bombs, and it's really cool. And we have Storm, which is Cola. I talked about her in a previous podcast. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't get to shout her out. And um, let's see what else we got. We have the Stav Soldat, who's the Winter Soldier. Talked about him before. That's my Benny. So my son, who is Zal, Zal Benamet, and shouts out to the Winter Soldier. And uh, by the way, just so everybody knows, he did get his journal back. So no one can say those words and like mind control him. So that's good. Um, we did not mention. Who else did we not mention? I mean, we missed a whole lot of people. Oh, my goodness. Ish Hasid. So Ish Hasid is also Batman. He's like the Arkham Knight, like uh, technique, techie version, like the, the more up to date that you would see like on the video games and things like that. So that's his character. Uh, we do have Nerya Roke, who's the Green Lantern. Uh, and then we have, dun, 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 we have uh, Akav, who is the card throwing full house playing uh yeah the full house guy uh stack of cards 52 pickup yep gambit our coach version of that and shouts out to the cons uh in the carolinas area east coast side Havengen. uh they are moon knight and sabra which uh moon knight we uh i think i guess we're going with rosh hodesh knight which is really cool Cause you know, new moon, <laughs> like the new moon night. He's like, yeah. Cause you know, my name is Michael Kahn and like moon night, you know, MK same initials as Michael Kahn. So we'll just go with that. And I'm like, I see what you did there. That I see what you did there. That was legit. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So man, I know I'm going to forget somebody else, but I'm trying to make sure that I at least get those lost unnamed 20 Avengers uh yep aquaman batman submariner oh my goodness we got gamara who is obviously gamora because it's a play on words uh and pun intended because gamara is all about words and uh she is uh that's rachel then we have ayin koak who is our cyclops character so uh, that's pretty legit. He is a very, very smart and very tactical, violent man. So that's cool. And, uh, off the top of my head, it's what I know now. So if I forgot anybody else, I am so sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so I hopefully between myself and Captain Israel and this podcast, um, you know, we tried to shout everybody out, so Baruch Hashem. 
All right, so avenging is a thing, and I wanted just to go back to my Sukkot drop uh, from from uh, the Yom Tov service, basically. I was trying to say from Shabbat, and I was like, well, yeah, it was a Shabbat day. It was a Yom Tov day, and it just happened. So one of the things about uh, Sukkah, is as I was breaking it down, I was trying to break down the root of the word, and I totally gave the gematria of Samic the gematria of Amim, which is interesting because I'm going to look in the Targum here at something real quick because I'm wondering why I did that. And I found some interesting information uh, getting some more Suka drops. But real quick, so with Samic, it says in the Targum, that it is, okay, just making sure it didn't interchange with anything, because some of the Hebrew letters interchange with one another. And when you look at the Samic, it says that it is the 15th letter of the Aleph Bet. It interchanges with a scene. So the letter seen, the sheen with a vowel point on the other side, giving it the S sound. And then it says, and with a zayin, and with a sadi. So that's interesting. And the numerical value of Samic is 60. So I gave it the gematria of 40. Not really sure what was going on there. I think because so many letters and numbers were flying at me, nerves and adrenaline were going crazy, and I didn't have a time to write everything down. But uh, in my not being completely Superman uh, form there, uh, that's kind of what happened. So I want to give a big slicha to everyone. But the gematria got sweeter because when you look at 65 and 6 plus 5 being 11, being the number of the ingredients of Ketorit, I was just kind of mind blown because being 20 and Gematria short or shy of where the Gematria was supposed to be, if you added a Kaf to the concept of Ketorit, like, like, because Kaf is how you say like or as, like it's the simile word or comparison letter, uh, equivalent so I could say K like 11 so like the 11 spices of the Ketorit that's the actual gematria of Samic Kaf He which is the root of Sukkot and Sukkah and so yeah so basically if you take your hand which is what the Kaf represents the palm of a hand put the 11 spices in it that's a Sukkah so while I did not realize that I was one cough short, I had the spices, but no hand to put them in. And, um, you know, and the spices go in the hand of the Cohen, well, by way of an instrument, uh, to take them into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, which is what creates that cloud of incense that, like I talked about, dissipates into the roof of the sukkah that we sit under. So we're sitting under the palm of a hand that's holding the spices that uh, we presented in the Holy of Holies. 
during Yom Kippur. So that was cool. But here is the gematria of Sukkah. If you go 60 plus 20 plus 5, which is 85, it's literally the word pay hey, which is how you say pay, which is the word for mouth. So you're sitting in the mouth, okay, of Hashem, basically. Because the pay and the and the letters themselves speak of Hashem, and we know the sukkah being a manifestation of Hashem, it's also his mouth, it's where the words will come from. And Shabbat 88, the tractate there, uh, talks about Hashem's mouth being full of fragrant spices. So let me go ahead and source that out because I want to go ahead and um, not be too sourceless when I can have sources in front of me. So Shabbat, I want to go with Daf. Daf, by the way, means page. And I believe it's 88A. So let me go with that. 88A. Hashem's mouth. Spices. Let's see. Thank you for your patience. Uh, okay, so Shabbat 88A, if anyone was wondering... That's where the uh, Naaseve Nishma is the secret uh, of the ministering angels. So why is Israel likened to angels when they say Naaseve Nishma? Because they act like they know the secret. And here is... Nope, not yet. Um... By the way, uh, the whole thing about speaking in tongue is speaking into languages. Uh, because the word for tongues is Lashon Not, and that means languages, and Hashem spoke in all the languages. This is why the same thing happened in Acts chapter 2. That's Shabbat 88b. Talks about that, uh, what is the meaning of Te'elim 68.12? The Lord gives the word, the women that proclaim the tidings are a great host. It means that each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of the Almighty divided into 70 languages a great host. And similarly, the school of Rabbi Yishmael taught that with regard to the verse, behold, is my word not like fire, declares Adonai, and like a hammer that shatters a rock. Yermiyahu 2329. Just as this hammer breaks in breaks a stone into several fragments, so too each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be he, divided into 70 languages. Okay, so there is that. Um, let's get to the spices in the mouth. Spices in the mouth. There we go. This is from Shir Hashirim 513. Okay, Shabbat 88b. So again, remember how if you take away 20 and do the calculation I presented on the Yom Tov Drosh about Sukkah, it is 65 and 6 plus 5 is 11, so we're looking at the 11 spices. So now, if we take the spices, add a kaf to that, which is the palm of the hand, now we get to the gematria of 85, which is the word for mouth. So the hand turns into a mouthful of spices, basically, is what I'm getting at. And those spices are used right here in Shabbat 88b. 
And Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, What is the meaning of that which is written? His cheeks are, a, are as a bed of spices, as banks of sweet herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. Shirha Shireen 513. It is interpreted homiletically. From each and every utterance that emerged from his cheeks, i.e. the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be he, Slika, the entire world was filled with fragrant spices. And since the world was already filled by the first utterance, where was there room for the spices of the second utterance to go? The Holy One, blessed be he, brought forth wind from his treasuries and made the spices pass one at a time, leaving room for the consequences of the next utterance. As it is stated, his lips are lilies, which is Shoshanin, dripping with flowing myrrh. Each and every utterance resulted in flowing myrrh. Do not read the verse as Shoshanim, but rather read it as Sheshonim, meaning repeat. Each repeat utterance produced its own fragrance. So that escalated quickly because this whole idea of the flowing myrrh is about repetition of the words of Torah which is kind of crazy because the more we hear Torah repeated, the more fragrant of an aroma it should be. So if someone is continuing to repeat drops of Torah, you know, fight your Yetzirah and just say, no, this smells real good right now. I need some flowing myrrh in my life. And Shoshanim means to repeat which is the same letters as Shoshanim, which means flowing myrrh. So just wanted to share that. All right. So now, since we know the actual gematria of the root of sukkah is pay, it's all about the mouth. Um, if you add a vav to that, because remember, there's a, there's a, a vav missing in the whole word of Sukkot. And then in sukkah, you can actually spell it samik vav kaf hey. For like the actual, just the sukkah itself, not the root word. So the word for sukkah itself, the gematria is 91. And so with the gematria being 91, that gematria is the same gematria as Amen. And it's also the gematria of Malak which is the same word as angel. So now you're sitting in the Hashem, like El Melech Ne'eman, which is the which is the acronym of Amen, God, Faithful King. So you're not only sitting in, in the Amen, but you're also sitting in the angel of Hashem. And yes, that is Memtet. This is why we're abiding in Yeshua and all of that wonderfulness. Then... If that wasn't enough, if you spell sukkah backwards, the root word and the full spelling of sukkah, you get hakos, which is the word for the cup, as in the the vessel that holds the yain of the declaration that's used of the covenant. So the cup of the covenant, basically, the cup of Kiddush, the cup of the Pesach Seder, the four cups. 
So you're sitting in the cup, like the overall cup. So there's that. And then, see what else we have here. Really? Halevi'im. So the Levites. So the sukkah is the essence of the Levites. <laughs> okay. That's how it's going to be. And is there anything else that we should know about? All right. That is, I think that's it. Baruch Hashem. All right. So there's our uh, Lost 20. I uh, got the Avengers and got the Sukkah. Baruch Hashem. All right. So let's go back to what I shared. I talked about the fact that if you go back to Shemot, 38 and 21 there is uh the precedent here of what's happening the hasidic insights on this verse brings down something interesting because i talked about the fact that you know we got four days between yom kippur and the beginning of sukkot and those four days is brought down by hazira which is the wasp she was basically letting me know from a source she was reading about the Yod and Hay and the Vav and Hay are the four days. So we're literally completing the name of Hashem. And that's what connects the Day of Atonement to Sukkot. So literally stretched between our atonement and our tabernacling with Hashem is the name of Hashem. The one who was stretched out for us. And so you kind of have that picture. You also have the gathering in of the letters of Hashem's name, which is making Hashem's name one, is when you connect your Yom Kippur to your Sukkot. Then, once I got there to, <laughs> to all of that, it talks about the fact that, uh, actually, uh, Captain Israel brought this down on the Aliyah day. He said that, you know, this was when the clouds of glory returned to the camp of Israel and they were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. And so that was like, oh, my goodness. So literally, as we've built our sukkahs and we've entered into our sukkah and invited in our Ushpazin, our guests, this was literally the time frame of when the clouds of glory returned to the camp of Israel. So in the wilderness, that is, after the golden calf incident, which would have been four days after the second set of tablets came down. So, man, OK. So in the Hasidic Insights on Shemot 38:21, talking about the Mishkan is Ha'edut. The Mishkan is a testimony. The word Edut testimony is from the root word or has the root word aday, which is actually the word for jewelry, which is translated by the Torah as crowns. And so how do we get these things? This is all of our gatherings, all of our teruma, all of our treasured and precious donations, our talents, our giftings. We brought these all and cast them before the feet of Hashem. And that's how we got the Mishkan. And this is also how we get our sukkah. We cast all of our talents, our giftings, all of our valuables, all of our treasures before Shem. We quote unquote, no, not quote unquote, actually cast our crowns before Shem in order to erect a sukkah. 
So if you want to really cast your crowns before Shem, you build a sukkah. And it's interesting because when you build your sukkah, it takes planning, you know, and you have to like get this together and, you know, really use your thinker, you know. And so it's just like, yeah, go ahead and cast your crown before Shem. And it's like, all right, man, you know, so that's what happens. We put the sukkah up. Okay, so then that was that. So I went all the way over to Yochanan chapter one, because what Mashiach did among us was build his tabernacle, which is Hashem tabernacling with us and us tabernacling with him because it's like Hashem built the tabernacle and then we entered into it. And so it's just kind of like, wow. That's crazy. So where I started was, if you look at verse 12, it says, But as many as him, le kabel pene Mashiach, receive him as Mashiach. And I stopped right there because I taught about the word kabal, which is the root of kabbalah, and it means reception. And when you receive things, it's exactly how the pictures of the Avengers work. Like our characters... Your character, by the way, if you're going to become a Avenger, it has to be received. Like you have to be really be able to tap into the spiritual implications, superpowers, if you will, to and like to bring that down and make that manifest into reality. You know, when I became Showman, I thought it was so funny because first of all, I had to agree to it. So receiving cabal has to do with this idea of agreeing and being like, yes, this is who I am or yes, this is what I believe. So that whole thing about do you trust in the Lord, your God as your savior? It's like, OK, I receive it, you know, and so trust and reception are different because you're looking at cabal versus batak. You know, and this is where we say trust in Adonai and Adonai will be your security. So it's like, OK, so you got to get yourself there to that. But it's hard to trust in something you haven't really received. So reception is literally the first like primary step, because we have to receive into our understanding that there are laws to life and nature. And then we have to trust those laws after we do so. So if I know that gravity is a thing, it's only a thing because I've received it to be a thing and I trust that it's a thing. So I'm not going to walk off a building. But anyway, so just kind of that picture about you have to receive. Oh, just to finish out on the Avengers, you have to receive your character. You have to agree. You have to know. And, and with me, I was like, Iron Man's kind of cool. I literally have a old school comic like a. It's like a steel tin metal sheet thing. It's super bendable, but it's a portrait of the old school comic Iron Man that you can like hang on the wall. It's like the old grungy metal look, you know, to it. And it was so funny because I had this thing for years. And then I used to be a part of what's called an Iron Man group, which was like a really intense account accountability group. You know, where you're with a couple of guys and y'all are all different ages and y'all are together. Y'all are having the most in your face conversations, you know, like, yeah, like you better know these people and they know you and uh, y'all got to get your act together because 
you know, you're, you're accountable to what you failed in this week. Well, next time we meet, we're going to talk about, did you pass the test the next time you came up to that, you know, challenge or temptation or something that you were falling short in, you know, kind of thing. So I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is what I got myself into. But anyway, so I loved it. It was great. It was beautiful growth. So yeah, so I had the Iron Man group, had the Iron Man poster. And for some reason, I loved making puns. And I was like, okay, all the wit and the quips and stuff like that. And then it was like, hey, what if we took the Jewish or what if we took all the superheroes and made them Jewish? And it's like, man, that would be really cool. Like instead of Captain America, it's Captain Yisrael. Instead of like the amazing Spider-Man, it's the amazing Chazan. Instead of like Iron Man, it's like Shomer Man. Instead of like the Incredible Hulk, it's the Incredible Talmud. Instead of like, you know, uh, the mighty God of Thunder, it's the mighty Hover. You know, which by the way, being a Hover is very thunderous. I don't know if you know this, but the concept of a Hover in Hebrew is literally a Pharisee. And the Pharisee has all of those insights that we read from like, you know, the Humash and from the Sidur. Literally, Pharisees came up with the Sidur. Uh, oral Torah people, people of Oral Torah are very thunderous. So uh, anyway, but yeah, side note on that. So yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And it's like, OK, who are all these people? And then it was like, of course, Rabbi is Captain Israel, like he's the leader, like, duh. And it's like, oh, so the techie person who's always got like 6,000 phones for like one task. And it's like, oh, yeah, I do that. You know, I have a backup phone that I use for recording. I have a phone that I use to take notes on. I have a phone that I use as a normal phone. I have a phone that I use just to take pictures. And it's just like, why do you have so many phones? And then you have a tablet and then you got a computer. It's like, yeah, I'm showing man. Deal with it. No, I'm just I'll say that. But, you know, I do have a lot of stuff. And so I'm like, OK, and I have names for all of them and they're all tour ready, like insights galore. So anyway, so that's kind of how that all happened. And, you know, so the concept of cabal is literally you have to be able to see it, uh, comprehend it you know, cognizance, you know, and so it's really cool. And you find out too, that when you embrace your Avenger character, it really is who you are. Like, and you have these abilities and Hashem wants you to use them. So yeah, for what that's worth, hope that helps somebody, um, back on track though. Or did I ever leave it? I'm just kidding. All right. So Yochanan chapter 1 verse 12, you have to kabel or kabal Hamashiach. You have to receive him. And it says, so as many as kabal Mashiach says to them, he gave the authority to become, in fact, Yeladim Elohim. And then I went to Devarim 14, where it talks about being children of Hashem and not cutting your flesh and mourning uh, with all these crazy uh, rituals that are not um, condoned by Hashem. And I was just like, okay, so Hashem separates us from death. He also doesn't want us to mourn like those outside of our faith who mourn. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, I get why Shaul Hashliak would write about that. We don't mourn like others mourn, you know? <clears throat> and so that was something. And then um, just looking at Mashiach giving authority to become children of God. 
you know, there's this whole thing like people asked him, what authority did Mashiach teach? And he said, well, if you can tell me in what authority did Yochanan immerse people in the mikvah of repentance, then I'll answer your question. It was like, well, why'd you have to go there? <laughs> it's just like, OK. And then furthermore, you know, Mashiach had the authority to raise people from the dead and to control the control nature, the wind and the waves, um, multiply loaves of bread and fish. And so here, the same thing, he is the key to becoming a child of God. Now, we know Mashiach is the Torah. We know Mashiach is the spirit of God. We know that Mashiach is the Shekinah. And, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, he's the image of the invisible God because Hashem himself, you know, ain't so here, un unlimited light in his complete essence we can't even fathom. So it's just kind of like, okay, if we can try to figure that out. So Mashiach is like, you know, let me help you out. You know, so you hear, here I am. So worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, like Shema Yisrael, the greatest commandment. And just everything that I've taught you, go teach other people. Like, you know, I am the agent of the teacher, basically. Like, Torah here te teaching you to go teach others and it's just like well that's actually what Torah actually teaches um G Shekel brought this down from sources he was uh gleaning from about the Torah teaches mankind to become a Torah scroll like to become a living walking breathing Torah scroll that is the goal of teaching Torah that is the goal of studying Torah that is the goal of learning Torah, to become a walking Torah scroll. This is also why Shaul HaShliach would write to the Romans that the end of Torah is Mashiach, because Mashiach is literally a walking Torah scroll. And so you have this whole picture here that we're supposed to manifest out, like become conformed to the image of the sun. So then there's all of that uh, that I just thought was kind of like, wow, because going to the next verse, he says he gave this authority to the ones who being born was not by the agency of natural descent. It's not because I have a Jewish mother that I'm Jewish. And if you really want to talk about my mother, you have to talk about the Ruach HaKodesh, the Shekinah of Hashem, the word of God i.e. the voice of Hashem, which is the sound of the shofar and all of that. So that's who my mom is, i.e. I've been born again from above, born again by the spirit. Yes, the spirit, okay? Ruach HaKodesh. And so when when you look at that being the, uh, the bar there, you know, that's how the Jewish mother is born. The Jewish mother has to be born from the spirit, too. So in order to have a Jewish mother, you got to have a mother who was literally born again so that, you know, you're born of a truly Jewish mother. So there's all of that to really kind of link up and, and just put into perspective. But, you know, and I just wanted to take the Selah moment to say, 
you know, this is why people go, oh, yeah, I'm Jewish and I got Jewish blood. And, you know, my great great granddaddy was da 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 da. And it's like, okay, and your mom or your dad, what about them? And it's like, well, they raised me in a Jewish home. It's like, so you lit candles and you studied the Torah portions and you, you know, you were Shomer? Uh, no, but I was raised in a Jewish home. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. You know, and so it really gets down to what are we really talking about? What is really the essence of a Yehudi? And why is that so distorted over the centuries? I mean, it's it's like person born again, newborn creation, new creation. Okay. Filled with the Torah. Okay. Go out and be a light to the nations. Okay. That's what a Yehudi is. A God praiser, Shomer Mitzvot, rejuvenated by the spirit of Hashem, walking in his ways, doing his best to grow in every facet of life and helping others do the same. That's basically a Yehudi. Uh, so it's just kind of like, OK, so if anyone is calling themselves a Yehudi and they're not doing any of those things, not representing any of those things. We need to go back to square one and talk about a Yehudi or as is best to or as is best said, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there. Because there, when you really look at who Mashiach Yeshua is, which he is not an independent agent from Hashem, no more than the angel of Hashem is independent from Hashem. And then, you know, you have the fact that Hashem's Torah is Hashem. And then the Torah is called covenant, which is all about what belongs to Hashem. And so there's like no disconnect whatsoever uh, is best thrown down by Akav, by Gambit. You know, we're looking at Ein Sof coming all the way down into Malkut. And it's like, okay, so Malkut is not separate and it's completely Echad with Ein Sof. But by the time Malkut expresses Ein Sof, it's called Or Ein Sof. And obviously Or Ein Sof starts a whole lot back from that, but the word Ein Sof literally means without end. So like, yes, the infinite, most like you can't, put a beginning end or you know middle to and then you have the light which emanates from that which is or ain't so the light of the infinite infinity so some kind of tangibility sleeka while tangible while physical seemingly or actually not seemingly but expressing an infinite uh without limitation uh nature this is probably why it says he was no less than the nature of God, which let me go back here. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see. Let's go. Yeah, let's go back to verse one. It says, Bereshis was the Devar Adonai. In the beginning was the word of Adonai. And the word of Adonai was etzel, was beside Adonai, like where you put the ashes on the altar. Which, by the way, 
when you put the ashes at Zell, it literally is still on the top of the altar until the Cohen changes his clothes and then he scoops up those ashes and takes them to the outside of camp. So, like, it's still, like, it's basically attached, connected. It's not seen as a separate entity. But anyway, I digress. It says, so the Devar Adonai was Edzel Hashem alongside him. And the Devar was nothing less by nature than Elohim. Like Hashem. Which, by the way, when you conceal the name of Hashem, the four letters, it's concealed in Elohim. It has to have some form of limitation, if you will, because if we said Bereshit bara Hashem, as opposed to Bereshit bara Elohim, like an Elohim created, if we had the uh, the limits taken off, then creation would have just been just pure chesed, pure compassion, pure light, pure infinity, just pure like. There is no bounds to this and no one would, you know, do evil. No one would bring darkness into the world. But if you contract that and you put it in Elohim and give it the, the appearance of nature, natural existence, something that can be seen as separate, then that's how we have our free choice. So that's the uh, picture of Elohim. So Yeshua is literally a contraction of that because he brings it down to the likeness of human, a human person, and yet he's still able to access levels of infinity, even in his Malkut form. And then I brought down the uh, the craziest uh, example, but I was like, you know, human beings, man and woman, when you get married, the man and the woman, when they're married, they're allowed to look at each other in their birthday suits, you know, like no clothes, like completely just naked. OK, let's put it that way. So but in order for every, all of us to see each other, you know, we're not to gaze upon each other like that. OK, that's the aspect of Hashem Shekinah, basically that whole concept, not gazing up on the Shekinah of Shem and all of that is like, you know, that picture but if we all put our clothes on, which we all should do, by the way, in public, we should be very zanute. You know, we put our clothes on, we can go out and we can t talk and interact with each other, you know, and hey, how's it going? You know, shalom and shalom aleichem, aleichem shalom, how you doing? Manishma, mashalom ka. You know, we can do all that because there's layers of concealment. And so same thing with Hashem, like he layers of concealment himself all the way down to he became in the likeness of a man and we could look upon Mashiach without uh, def defaming or degrading or disrespecting the shaking of Hashem. So I am obviously blue screened on that whole concept and kind of like that was awkward. But yeah, you know, that's okay. Because, you know, sometimes we can't understand everything and we have to be okay with that. But it's okay for us to reach for levels of understanding. Because if we don't work at trying to grow, we won't. Because if we don't work at trying to grow, we won't. Alright, so moving right along, it says, So it's not by the agency of natural... 
okay, descent, nor by the ratzon of basar, fallen human nature. Okay, so there's nothing fleshly that can cause us to become a child of God. You can't circumcise enough. You can't mikvah enough. You can't eat kosher enough. You can't, you know, be zanut enough to become a child of Hashem, to become born again. It all has to do with being born again from above, born again by the Spirit. And again, just in case it wasn't uh, stated before, this is why throwing tracks at people or trying to beat people into submission. Hey, you need to believe or you're going to burn, you know, or get sanctified or chicken fried like or you're going to Gehenna, like all that kind of stuff is not good because you can't will people into the kingdom like that. It all is it's it's a shem, you know, the only reason I'm here is because of a shem like. I never saw myself being Jewish. I never saw myself studying Torah. Like, I was like, man, I want to be a rapper. I'm going to play for the Houston Rockets. Like, I got things to do. I'm going to be on MTV, red carpet. I got this. And it was just like, but I started to figure out that I love Hashem. And Hashem has a Torah. And I should be doing it. And I'm like, wait, what? Run this by me one more again. How does this all work? So anyway... So that's what it is. So that's the divine sparks that we're looking for are those individuals who Hashem has made born again. And all we're doing after the inside of the cup is clean is we're cleaning the outside now. Now we can go get circumcised. Now we can go to the mikvah. Now we can begin to, you know, do all the outward expressions of the true work that has been done on the inside. Moving right along to the next part of this verse, it says, nor by the razon of a gever, a male, a person, basically. And it says, rather to the one, to the ones born of God. So this authority to become children of Hashem, it's not by natural agency or descent, not by the will of the flesh. Not by the will of a man, but rather to the ones born of God, i.e. those who have been born of the Spirit. And I talked about the fact that, you know, how do you know if someone's born by the Spirit? Well, I'm actually going to take the time to read it since, since you know, I just take time to do everything. Uh, it says in Yochanan 3, 3, in reply, he said to him, Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless someone is born anew, born again, he is not able to see the Malkut of Hashem. Then you drop down to verse 7. And it says, Do not marvel at what I said to you. It's necessary to be born again. Born anew. Now, here's the verse that I was talking about with the Spirit. It says, The Ruach blows where it wishes. And the sound of it you hear, but you do not have knowledge of where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone having been born of the Ruach HaKodesh. So we won't really know the point at which someone is actually, you know, born again. Literally born by the Ruach HaKodesh. Ready, convert, you know, newborn babe, all that good stuff. Uh, we won't know that, but we'll know the effects of it. So just like you can't see the wind, but you can... You can hear it. You can feel it. Yeah, because it says 
the sound of it you hear you know the ruach blows where it wishes you do not have knowledge where it comes where it goes that's what it's like so there's all that so when it becomes to that that's the only way to perpetuate becoming children of god and that's why yeshua wanted us to go out and, and teach because we're given the authority to bring forth the opportunity to birth new souls. You know, Abraham and Sarah, by the way, Aleph Sheen is the initials of that name, which is Aish, which is fire. That's the fire of Torah. That's the fire of the Lapid. This says that they made souls. Okay. Literally, they the souls that they had made, which is the word for converts. So, um... It is in Parsha Lech Lecha. Let me see if I can get the verse for you here real quick. As I'm flipping through my Bible. Okay. Uh, it's Bereshit chapter 12. And it says. No, we're going to go back to. Let's see. Let's go back to chapter 11. Let's start from 29. It says, And Abraham and Nakor took them, took them wives, took for themselves wives, basically. The name of the wife of Abraham was Sarah, and the name of the wife of Nakor was Milka, which, by the way, is where we get... Um, Rivka and Rachel and Leah from uh, eventually. And then it says the Bat of Haran, the father of Milka, and Avi, and the father of Yiska. But Sarah was born, she had no child. And Terak took Abraham, his son, and the son of his son, Lot ben Haran. And Sarah, and Sarah, his Kala, his bride, the wife of Abraham, his son. And they went forth from ur Kasdim to go into Eretz Kainan. And they came into Haran and dwelt there. And then going down into 12, it says uh, in verse 1, Now Hashem said to Abraham, Go you out of your country and from your kindred and from the house of your father unto the land that I will show you. So that I will make of you a great nation, that I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a bracha, a blessing. And I will bless the one blessing you, and curse him that curses you, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed, which is another word for grafted in, through you. And it said, so Abraham departed as Hashem told him, and Lot with, went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Verse 5, key verse. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions, and they, and all of their possessions that they had amassed. And here's the phrase. And the nefesh that they had gotten in Haran literally translates to the souls that they made in Haran 
And then it says, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and they arrived in the land of Canaan. So there you go. So making souls is a thing. And so they had that ability and that authority to make souls and Mashiach gives us that same ability. So that would have to mean in order for Abraham and Sarah to literally make souls, to have the authority, they had to be believers in Mashiach. Which means simply that you believe in Hashem, you believe in the Torah, you believe in the Ruach HaKodesh, you believe in like the Shekinah of Hashem, like the Angel of Hashem, like all of it. So it's a very Jewish thing, basically. So there's that. This is why Yeshua would send us out. He says, okay, so now that all authority is given to me by my father... It's Matthew 28. Let me go ahead and read that verbatim. I like being able to read things, you know, right off the top. It just really helps. Make sure it's all clear. It says in verse 19, Go therefore and make Talmudim, which by the way are students of their teacher. So in order for us to make Talmudim, we have to be Talmudim. This is why the letter Lamed, not only does it mean to teach, but it also means to learn because you can't teach unless you're learning and you can't learn unless you're teaching. Because teaching, you normally learn while you're teaching. I can tell you from uh, doing these podcasts, I do. And that's probably why I spend so many hours doing them is because I learn so much and I'm uh, just privileged to be able to share this with everybody. So uh, it says from there. You know, make Talmudim for Mashiach Yeshua of all the nations, giving them a tevila, which is a tavel, okay, literally to immerse them, and a mikvah of the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and he nay. I, Mashiach, am with you always, even until the end of the age. And the thing about that is the Shekinah is what never departs from us. And Mashiach was letting us know, like, hey, just like the Shekinah won't depart from you, neither will I, because we're Echad. So all of that, basically. So just looking at the authority and the ability we have to be making children of Hashem, that's how it works. And it all comes through giving people the opportunity to be born again, introducing them to, to, to the Ruach HaKodesh. And should they be called, are there actually sparks? You know, Hashem will gather them in. But how will they believe if they have not heard? Oh, yeah, you know, I got to go rock that one. Uh, let's go ahead and hit that Romans 10. Garrett Rome. Okay. So check this out. So you make confession with your mouth. This is verse nine. And it says, and have a Muna in your heart. So with all of your being, you're going to be found faithful to do all that Hashem requires of us. That's what a Muna is. It's not just a, oh yeah, I believe and I don't do anything. It's no, I believe because you can see it by what I'm doing. And then it says that God raised him from the dead you will be delivered. So being raised from death into life. So if Mashiach's body can be animated from death into life, 
you know, that's kind of like looking, that's a bar for us to know that, hey, our flesh can be regenerated. So if we can go ahead and, and have an expression of our belief in that by doing the works which accompany those who have been regenerated by the spirit, eventually our flesh will be regenerated. So, you know, that's kind of our benchmark. So it's like, okay, so the power of resurrection is how we're able to be Torah observant. This is why, you know, as Lapid and Sar Shalom, you know, Lapid Judaism, Sar Shalom Synagogue, which is the 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 flagship, <laughs> the battle flagship of Lapid, uh, we talk about Yeshua Center Judaism because it's a observant Judaism that is powered by the resurrection. And I know that you know all Torah observance should be powered by the resurrection and it is quote unquote, but we honestly take a look at, you know, how does that actually play out connecting to that? Like not just making this playing shul, playing a Jew, you know, putting on the gear, you know, just kind of keeping a few mitzvot here and, and throwing off mitzvot over here, you know, like really, if the resurrection is a thing, you know, that's going to be like a power spike, you know, to the system. And so it's going to cause a, a really big charge, you know, to our psyche. And so, and not just our psyche, but literally our, our very being, you know, so, and also being born again, by the way, is likened to being resurrected, just like the way Yitzhak was resurrected from the Akidah. So there's that. Yitzhak was born again. All right. So anyway, it says, For with the heart one has amuna unto being found righteous and justified with Hashem, and with the mouth has hodaah, thanksgiving, confession, made unto the Yeshuat Eloheinu, the salvation of Hashem, the Yeshua of Hashem says, for the Kitve HaKodesh, the Holy Scripture says, everyone who has a Muna and a Shem shall not be put to shame. Yeshayahu 28, 16. And then it says, for there is no distinction between Yehudi and Yavani, which is Greek or Roman, because uh, the kingdom of Yavan eventually became the kingdom of Edom. Again, that's why there's a lot of likeness, the Western mentality and all that. And it says, for the same one is Adon Echad Lechulam, one Lord over all. And then it goes into everyone who calls upon the name of Adonai shall be delivered, which, by the way, is in the prophet Yoel. It's in his writings. And then it also goes on to say, how therefore shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So... How can they call on somebody if there's no nothing there for them to to realize, to receive, to call out? No essence. Then it says, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Okay, so if they don't know what they don't know, then how are they going to hear? How are they going to believe? And how are they going to call? And then it says, and how shall they hear without someone preaching? And this is why I make podcasts. This is why Lapid Judaism exists. This is why we avenge. Because we have to preach it. You know, and the word preach, by the way, is Magid. 
And Magid literally means to tell like what you do with the Haggadah on Pesach. You retell the story. And as a Magid, you don't have to come up with your own stuff. And it's probably really advisable that you don't so that you don't end up, you know, getting people off the path and things. So this is why sources are a big deal. And even any original thoughts that we come up with should have that same flow. You know, how how can you do gematria? You know, how, why do I always point out the first letter of each word and always bring up, you know, the points about what they spell? Because I learned through the system of numerology and Ivrit, which is called gematria, that, you know, that is one of the concepts. Take a phrase and take the first letter of each word. You can also take the last letter of each word, you know, and then there's all the different layers of gematria that you go through. And so operating from those principles, you now can go into all those infinite areas there and bring out all these insights. And so basically, you know, watching how our master does it and then duplicating it. So I love Baal Haturim and anytime I can read that humash, I love it. And so a lot of those concepts come from different gleanings that I've gotten from him. Okay, so then this is where it gets to the, the main point about the sukkah. Is that the sukkah? It says in verse 14 of Yochanan chapter 1. Yep, back to Yochanan. It says, And the Devar Hashem, which by the way was no less than the nature of God, it was beside God, with God. So all of that became bodily and made his sukkah, his mishkan among us. His presence became a sukkah. This is exactly what Sukkot's all about. The presence of Hashem becoming a sukkah, which is a finite physical expression of the infinite. Now, to finish out this verse, it says, And we gazed upon his Shekinah, the Shekinah of the only begotten Son from Elohim, the Father, full of Hashem's chesed ve'emet. So, Looking at all of that, you know, that's just a, a beautiful picture that the reason why Sukkot is so powerful, it's such a thing that we need to make sure that we grasp a hold of is because it's the reality of the Mashiach that we have received, that we've cabaled, you know. And so I just find it so amazing that, you know, Hashem gives us seven days and it's like here. You know, here's a picture of your Mashiach, you know, who is with you, by the way. And it's just like, okay, understanding how to reconcile. There are no separate entities here. There's no no division in Hashem. It's all together. It's all Echad. Can't separate it out like the Sephirot. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's my Sukkot uh, Geula talk. And just kind of bring down a few more insights uh, before I index my time here. I want to go to the Midrash says on Parsha Pinchas because as I wanted to pull out some more insights on Sukkot because I wanted to read about the prophet Yonah 
who basically became a prophet through Sukkot. And so I can't remember if it's in this volume or not, but we're going to see if we can get there. And I want to talk about that because we read Yonah before going into Sukkot. And remember, we read Yonah on Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur is connected to Sukkot by the divine name of Hashem. But on page, uh, let's see where we're at. Page 381. It's talking about the Corbinote. The title is on page 380 and it says the purpose of the offerings and why the Torah here adds the laws of the Corbinote. And I love it because the Western mindset hasn't quite grabbed a hold of this yet. So we, it's time to grab a hold of it. That the offerings being done away with or seeing as something that's completely like not necessary and something that is completely beneath uh, the sacrifice of Mashiach, like, okay, that's not really a proper way to approach this. So if we can understand the purpose of the Corbinote and, and be able to look at things with the right perspective, then we can get more actually out of what happened with Mashiach's offering and his spilling of blood and his death, burial, and resurrection. So, let's do that, shall we? Tis the season. Because Mashiach was born to be offered. Which is like the whole point of the red heifer offering. It literally has to be born with the purpose of being used like that. Because there are so many different... Uh, restrictions and, and standards that the red heifer has to meet in order for it to be offered. And so you can't have it meet all those requirements if you're not aware of what it takes for those requirements to be met. I.e. if the red heifer is not supposed to ever have a yoke on it, well, the owner of that red heifer should know, okay, I got a red heifer over here. Don't put a yoke on it. Don't disqualify it. And so Mashiach from his conception and being born into, you know, the world here as a, in the likeness of a man, you know, uh, there he's going to meet up to, to those requirements to be the most kosher Akira ever. Just like Yitzhak, which, by the way, is a miraculous conception. And, um, you know, he, uh, Sarah was basically... Um, filled with the spirit and was caused to be pregnant. So, yeah, it has nothing to do with Mary being, you know, uh, some kind of deity type person who uh, it's her ability to give birth to a, a God, you know, and all that kind of stuff and get into all this, pray to Mary and make a statue out of her and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. Because the immaculate conception and miraculous conception, those always kind of get caught up and entangled. And it's like it creates so many different things that it's just kind of like, OK, what is the point? Right. You know, so Mashiach basically is born of the spirit through Miriam. OK. And then this all happened during Sukkot. So is it any wonder why our sukkah would be the same thing? It's born of the spirit. 
because the spirit of renewal that we receive on Yom Kippur and go through the unification of the divine name and we literally birth out the sukkah. Also, connecting back to the halakha that Captain Israel brought down, you can start building your sukkah back in the sixth month, which is the month of Elul, which just so happened to be the time that the birth announcement for Mashiach was given to Miriam, you know, and so the only thing is you don't put the sukkah on until after Yom Kippur because the shofar blasts, which are halakhically you want to hear about a hundred shofar blasts, the gematria of 100 is sukkah, which is the word for the roof of the sukkah. The sukkah of the shofar blast, the 100 shofar blast, becomes the incense of smoke that's presented in the Holy of Holies, which dissipates into the roof of the sukkah. So you go with the shofar blast into the ketorit spices cloud that takes us into the Holy of Holies and then put that on the roof. So your, the spirit of Hashem has to flow through us and birth out the sukkah to finish it out. So looking at the purpose of the Korban note here on page 381, it says, Said the Almighty to Moshe, Rather than being concerned that B'nai Yisrael may lack an intermediary after your death, ensure that they serve me well. Instruct them in the laws of the Tamid Korbanot. These Korbanot will unite them. Each Yehudi, each Jew, donated a half shekel coin for purchasing them. If you want to know where your half shekel donation that you give during the month of Adar goes, it goes into the Tamid offering that's offered every morning and every afternoon. The only reason there's a Tamid Korban purchase paid for and offered is because everybody gave their half shekel okay so this is another reason too why tithing is a thing it's i mean if you can't tithe what are you going to do when it's time for us to start giving the half shekel again like you know and tithing goes into the overall picture of the corbinote you know, the lights being on so people can see their books when they're davening and reading verses of Torah and, you know, air conditioning can be on so that we can comfortably sit in shul and, you know, electricity can work so that we can have sound and music and, you know, audio visual and, you know, a kitchen so that we can have our oneg, uh, you know, on hot plates and, you know, and things like that, and crock pots, uh, places for those, and a, a wonderful refrigerator to keep your food cold, and chairs and tables to sit in. That all comes because we pay our tides. So anyway, I don't know how a barrel rolled off into that. I always get excited because we we just have to do better as as people, you know. If we're tithing, Baruch Hashem, and if we're not, Baruch Hashem. Either way, we all need to unite in that. So let's do it because Hashem says these Korbanot unite us and it says, and will bring a heavenly radiance of blessing upon us. It's not so much that we need to do these things so we can receive a blessing, but the benefits of if we do, I mean, cause, cause Hashem is totally going to say 
in a little bit that I need you to emphasize to the people that I am not in need of the sacrifices. Like, I don't need y'all to do this. I, I want you to do this. And so that's interesting, you know, when you think about it. But anyway, so not only that, and then number two, it says, after instructing Moshe concerning the distribution of the land, Hashem introduced the laws of those korbanot that the Yehudim would be obligated to offer only after arriving in the land. For in the wilderness, they offered neither Musaf offerings nor Nesakim, which is libation offerings. Hence, the laws of Korbanot, rather than being explained in Parsha Vayikra, were taught to the Yehudim at the end of their 40 year stay in the wilderness, immediately before they entered Israel. So, here's that statement. Hashem told Moshe, emphasize to the people that I am not in need of Korbanot. The world is mine. I created all the animals which you offer up to me. Moreover, I need neither food or drink. I am totally divorced from the physical world and do not need earthly offerings for nourishment. If or even if I were in need of food, I would not entrust my sustenance to cruel beings. All human beings are considered cruel compared to Hashem, the source of mercy. Now, did not Mashiach Yeshua say, though you being evil, uh, you give your children good gifts, right? Um, let's see. Where is that at? Though you being evil. Yep. Matid Yahoo 711. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, yeah, there's that. So Shem is like, compared to me, human beings are cruel and I would not entrust my sustenance need to human beings if I needed it, but I don't need it and I wouldn't entrust it to them. And so there's that. But yet Mashiach lets us know that though that is the circumstances and that is the case, that we, even in our evil, still know how to give good gifts so how much more when it's compared to Hashem and we should be imitators of Hashem, basically, fill in the gap. So that's kind of a, a big step, which I'll just go ahead and tag in the mighty Haver, who brought down the teaching from the palm tree of Devorah. And he basically was saying that, you know, that when we sin, we fall out of need, we fall out of the bottom of the letter hay. And then when we make teshuva and, you know, want to ask for forgiveness, we have to climb up the side of it and climb in through that little window at the top. You know, so that little opening. And he related this to being Mashiach saying, I'm the door. You know, you have to enter in through me, basically. And so we have to ascend the mountain of Hashem that is to Mashiach. And we're in a higher place than we were before, because when we sinned, we fell out the bottom and indicating we were close to the drop zone. So now when we get back up into the hay, we're like at the top of it now. And this is how we're supposed to treat people who make teshuva is when you make shuva, you know, truly have remorse for what you did. Truly like I'm I don't intend to hurt you again. And I'm going to walk in, you know, higher ways. I'm going to walk in to Kuhn, 
like you put them on a higher level at that point. So there's all of that. And so it goes on to say, when then did I command you to offer sacrifices? I desire their sweet or sliga says, why then did I command you to offer sacrifices? Corbin out. I desire their sweet scent, the satisfaction that you fulfill my mitzvah. By fulfilling the laws of sacrifices, you attach yourselves to me. So that's pretty much. And then they're going to go into a really ridiculous parable. But page 382, Midrash says, Bar. It's 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 a must. You must read it. So I just want to close out that whole thing on the Corbin note with the fact that, you know, they're links and attachment to Hashem and really if you want to offer a sacrifice to Hashem it's our obedience and it's the pleasing aroma that Hashem is looking for and that pleasing aroma takes us all the way back to the Ketorit because Ketorit literally attaches us and binds us with Hashem so there is all of that alright so where my festivals at hmm Moshe attack Midian. Pink is rewarded. Corbinote drop down. Here we go. Festivals. All right. So on to the suga. All right. So Captain Israel is planning to talk about some of the Corbinote for the uh the feast so i'm not really gonna go into that but i want to just bring this down here uh that's yom kippur all right let's go to sukas sure they got something here Uh, it says, when the Beit HaMikdash, this is page 396, when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the Gentile nations also suffered a great loss. Since the Jews used to offer Corbinot to promote the welfare of the entire world, the Yehudim complained to Hashem, Master of the Universe, the Gentiles ought to befriend us for our efforts on their behalf. Instead, they hate us, as it says, in return for my love, they hate me. While I offer up prayer. Tehillim 109.4 So, you know, Sukkot is a uh, is an eight-day festival, but you only spend seven of it in your sukkah. And the eighth day is called Shemini Atzeret. So I guess we're going to do Sukkot being Shemini Atzeret, being the final day. What's the dealio? So it says... During the seven days of Sukkot, the Jews offered Corbinot, so the 70 nations of the world would be blessed, complaining to the Almighty that their efforts were unappreciated by the Goyim, the Gentiles. The Jews were told by the Almighty, I shall give you an additional Yom Tov, Shemini Zeret, the eighth day of Sukkot, which, by the way, side note, also coincides with Simkat Torah, the joy of Torah, which is where we read the end of Azot Baraka and the first chapter into chapter two of Bereshit. So we end the Torah scroll by beginning anew. The end is a beginning. 
so that's what Simcot Tour is all about. We dance with the tour scroll and we rewind the Torah and all that kind of stuff. So scroll all the way back to Bereshit. And it says, and I give you an additional Yom Tov Shemini Adzeret on the eighth day of Sukkot, on which you will only offer your own Korbanot. So the Musaf uh, Korbanot of Shemini Adzeret consists of one, or merely one bull, one ram, seven lambs, together with their accompanying Menakot and their Nesakim. And then it says, and a he-goat for a sin offering. Why is the Musaf less elaborate than those of Sukkot? Goes into saying that the offerings are brought on behalf of the Jews alone and not for the 70 nations, as was the case on Sukkot. Shemini Azeret is the day when Hashem, so to speak, meets with Kalal Yisrael privately. Therefore, its sacrifices are smaller than those of Sukkot. And it says, actually, Hashem intended the festival of Shemini Azeret to begin 50 days after Sukkot, just as Shavuot occurs 50 days after Pesach. However, he declined to do so, lest we be inconvenienced. Because it would be the winter months, which is taking us all the way into um, Hanukkah. So, I want to share this. This is going to be a little... Alright, heads up everybody. Hashem proclaims, page 398, When the Gentile nations have holidays, they abuse them. They overeat. They drink until they are no longer sober. Become frivolous and belligerent. And generally act in ways that are hateful to me. To the Jewish people though, I can give an additional Yom Tov without qualms. They eat and drink festive Yom Tov meals and happy spirits in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Then they enter their Beite Knesset and their Beite Midrashot, recite additional Tefilot, and in the time of the Beite Mikdash, offer extra Korban to me. So the whole thing about holidays and Judaism is that, um, wow, I got to read all this. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Is we spend our time with prayer, Torah, mitzvot. That's how we celebrate. You know, yes, we're going to have a good meal. Yes, we're going to drink. And okay, we may overeat a little bit, especially the challah. But, you know, it's all to fulfill the mitzvah of Hashem. Okay, so it says Hashem planned to give the Jewish people a Yom Tov in every summer month. Yes, that includes... Um, Tammuz and Av, which were kind of horrible months for us because of the golden calf and the destruction of the temples. But I digress. It says he planned to give that every every summer month. But due to our sins, we lost that privilege. In the month of Nisan, Hashem gave us Pesach and Er Pesach Katan, the minor Pesach. And Savan Shavuot, he also wanted us to have festivals in Tammuz, Av, and Elul. But because we sinned and were unworthy of them. And it says God recompensed us with three substitute festivals in the month of Tishrei. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. While Shemini Adzeret is the Yom Tov for the month of Tishrei itself. So Rosh Hashanah would have happened in Tammuz. 
Yom Kippur would have happened in the month of Av, and Sukkot would have happened in the month of Elul, hence why, again, Yeshua was birth announcement in Elul. Hey, Miriam, you're going to have the Son of God, so just let you know you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, and then Shemini Adzeret was going to be the festival of Tishrei. So that that's pretty pretty much it there. Uh, go ahead and get to this parsha and more. So I want to do the Jonah drop. All right, the Jonah drop. Where are we at? All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Sephirah Omer, Shavuot. All right. Hmm. We're just going to drop in on page 330. So back in Midrash says, uh, Vaikra says, Ramban 2839 quotes Kabbalistic teaching that by taking the etrog together with the other species, we remedy Adam's sin. According to one opinion, the fruit with which we sinned was an etrog. So everything we do with the etrog and the lulav, we rectify the sin of Adam. It's interesting. A little four species drop. All right, where my Yona drop it? Hmm. Granted, dwell in Sukkos. That's the Yomto, four species. More four species. I mean, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy full thing, man. Talking about the Hakel. A public Torah reading, two special holocausts. With that. No. Going back. Hmm. I know it's it's in connection to the water drawing ceremony. So what is that? Hmm. Living in a sukkah. It says, We are commanded then to dwell in Sukkot on this Yom Tov to remember the great miracles with or which the Almighty performed for our nation and the wilderness by sheltering our ancestors with the clouds of glory. Uh, a large population... Go back. Rabbi Akiva held that the Torah emphasizes the greatness of the generation of the wilderness. A large population consisting of men, women, and children unhesitatingly followed Moshe to a no man's land, bare of any vegetation, inhabited by snakes, scorpions, and wild beasts. They were not housed in residential quarters but had to erect boots for themselves, and yet they followed Moshe's lead for 40 years. We too are commanded to live in wooden boots, to learn to adopt to an attitude of total trust in Hashem, just as our ancestors did. 
This is why sleeping in the sukkah is so meritorious. Because you're just putting yourself out there with a shim. Hmm. I guess I'm not going to be able to source this out because the water drawing ceremony is basically where uh, Yona became a prophet. So, what is the dealio? They're just going in on the Lulavim. And that's what we got. Okay, well, if I ever get to come across that information about the water drawing ceremony uh, being where Yona was bait a prophet, I will Bezrat Hashem try to share it. Um, but if not, uh, just know, believe, and trust Yona became a prophet through Sukkot and Sukkot is a very powerful time it's something that we have to be really really vigilant about because so many different things happen during Sukkot that challenge us that test us and push us you know into things that you know if we're not paying attention you know or really really just kind of it really works us you know it really uh causes us to have to grow uh and we have to really be willing and able to make teshuva where we need to we also need to be willing to uh let go of what we need to and we also need to be willing to grab a hold of what we need to uh the the challenge to joy is frustration so if you can overcome your frustration you will have a better grasp on joy, basically. So, so yeah. So I want to just encourage us all. Let's let's give it all we got. You know, be born again. You know, again and again and again. Every time you go in and out of your sukkah, you're stepping into the birth chamber, basically. And so let that fuel you. You know, all the the bugs and the the hotness or the coldness or the dampness, the dryness, the wetness, you know, all of that through it all. It's it's all to bind us and attach us to Hashem to sit beneath the one who covers us with his glory. So may we bring this out into the new year. May we embrace our true selves that Hashem has called us to be by losing our lives for his sake and in his purposes, binding ourselves and attaching our lives to his will, his pleasure, his desire. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet vechaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai notain haTorah. May it be that we're inscribed and sealed in the book of life. And for a good and sweet year, may it be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will cause us to merit bringing in the final Geula with the return of Mashiach Yeshua, the gathering in of the exiles and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash speedily and soon, swiftly in our times and in our days. Amen.